If you're a guest here, uh, I just want to say welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. And uh, I'm, I'm just really honored to be here today and to be able to share this message with you. I believe it's a prophetic message from the Lord. And um, as I was on my way to service today, as I was on my way to church today, I, I heard this song on the radio and it was breathing in his grace, breathing out his praise. Ah, I love that. I just want to warn you, um, don't, don't get your theology from Christian music, from, from the radio. Get your, get your theology from the Bible, okay? Because sometimes, I'm done. Um, but anyway, so breathing in his grace, breathing out his praise. Can we just inhale as a sign we're receiving his grace? Breathe in and breathe out his praise. Say, thank you, Lord. Mm, God is so good. God is so, so good. Um, So we have been doing a series since, I think, 1984. We've been in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it is the most incredible sermon preached by Jesus where he talks about people that are blessed and, and, and people that mourn are blessed and people that are poor in spirit or blessing. He talks about all these things and then he talks about not, you know, about letting your light shine in this world. He talks about don't, don't, um, you know, listen to false teachers and he talks about all kinds of things. He talks about divorce and he talks about lust and he talks about kind of, you would almost think that he wrote this message or that he, that he delivered this message recently. And it's so ironic to me. It's not really. There are no coincidences with God. You know that, right? No coincidences with God. This message has been planned since May for this particular topic, which is Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, which says, So do unto others as you would have them do to you. This is the law and the prophets. And when Jesus is saying so, uh, some, some translations will, see, will say therefore. And it's talking in the context, if you'll remember last week, we talked about the good things that God does. It talked about, you know, if your son asked for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asked for fish, would you give him a snake? How much more? does the loving father want to give good things or give the Holy Spirit or or give blessings to those that are his? And so it's interesting that Jesus, right on the heels of that, says, so, therefore, consequently, as a result of this, do this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This sums up the entire law and the prophets in the Old Testament. Everything. If you could sum up the Bible in one word, do you know what that word is? Love's good. But relationship, which involves love, right? It's all about relationship. Loving God, loving people. And so today we are going to talk about how 
to do unto others, what that really means, how to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. So before we do that, I would like to invite the Lord to come and speak through me and open up your hearts to hear whatever it is that he wants to speak. Because I don't really... I always say I'm not smart enough to have my own opinions. I get all mine from the Bible. So it doesn't really matter what I say. I want the Holy Spirit to speak. So that's what I cry out for. That's what I pray for when I pray for you and when I pray for my message. Just full disclosure. So, Lord, I I just come before you, Lord. I'm so grateful, Lord, that we can breathe in your grace and breathe out your praise. I thank you for these people that are here today. I thank you for pouring out your spirit in, during worship, Lord. I thank you for bringing healing. I thank you that when two or more of us gather in your name, you are here with us. Lord, I sense your presence. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, through, through you, we can do all things. So I just ask this morning, speak through me, Lord. Speak your words. Speak the words of life and the words of hope in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would open up the ears of the hearers, Lord, that they could hear and sense exactly what it is that you are speaking to us as a church family and to us as individuals. And we just praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. So, uh, we want to welcome our American Fork campus. We have a campus down in American Fork. So, welcome you guys. Yeah. They're amazing human beings. Um, So, as I mentioned, we're doing do unto others. So, therefore, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this is the law and the prophets. Because remember, when the religious leaders came to Jesus, they said, they said, what is the first and greatest commandment? They were trying to trip him up. They were trying to mess with him. You know, they were trying to get him to make a mistake. And he brought it back to the first commandment, which is love the Lord your God, right? Have, you know, and the second is like it, love, love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you define neighbor? Who's a neighbor? Anybody who's not you, yes. That's it. Breathing and standing in front of you. That is your neighbor. Whomever, it doesn't matter if that means in the grocery store or at work or school or whatever it happens to be. Anybody else that is not you is your neighbor. I love that. So this, a lot of people have said that this is not an original thought to Jesus. Because it's, it's stated in the Talmud and it's stated, Confucius says, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And there was a rabbi, the Rabbi Hallel, who said, whatever is not helpful, don't do that to other people. And the Stoics said, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever you want people not to do to you, don't do that to anyone else. That's like triple negative. I guess that makes it a positive. I don't know. Stoics. Anyway, so... What do you notice about all three of these? They all have, yeah, they all have negative. It's don't do this. If you don't want that done to you, don't do this. Or if you don't want this, then don't do that. And don't do this and don't do that. Jesus comes along and says, do this. Do to others. Be nice to others. Treat them the way that you want to be treated. So Jesus flips this whole thing around and says, be proactive. Be nice. 
<clears throat> excuse me, when I was trying to come up with a title for this message, which I ultimately never did, um, Laura, Laura Taylor said, the lady that was over here, she said um, something like, just be nice or just act like a Christian. That should have been the title of the message. Because really, if we're following a God who is known, supposed to be known for his love and his acceptance of us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, if that's the God that we're serving, how much more should we be loving to other people with this grace that we have breathed in, that we have received? Shouldn't we then respond by treating people as though they were precious to him? And that's what this whole thing is about. So imagine... Imagine that you're getting ready to go to a concert. You're really excited, getting yourself ready, looking forward to having a good night. And you're in the middle of the concert. And all of a sudden you hear what you think are fireworks going off around you. Only to find out that there's a madman opening fire on the crowd. Or imagine that you're a parent and your children are getting dressed and getting ready to go to their favorite country singer in Vegas. They're getting ready for the concert and they go and then you get a phone call that there's been a horrible tragedy. Imagine. And whenever there's a tragedy, whenever something horrendous happens, we are clearly called as believers in Jesus Christ to pray. But we are also called to action. We are called to respond. And we're going to talk about today how do we respond in the midst of this tragedy? How do we do unto others as we would have them do unto us in the midst of sadness and, and confusion and horror and trauma? How do we respond as believers in Jesus? <clears throat> Ultimately, today, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that the message is a message of hope. I want this to be a message of hope and a message that would inspire you to be able to go out and to demonstrate the love of God on a really broken, broken society. Bailey Schweitzer was 20 years old from Bakersfield, California, and she was watching this concert with her mom. They were inseparable, said her friend Amy Campbell. She was a graduate of Centennial High School and a member of the Valley Bible Fellowship Church. Schweitzer worked at her family's business, the Bakersfield Speedway, but her passion was kids, and she wanted to become a kindergarten teacher or a delivery nurse. Campbell said that Schweitzer always found the good in everyone, and there was no bad day when Bailey was around. John Fippen 56 years old from Santa Clarita, California, went to the concert with his son Travis when he stopped to help someone during the shooting, according to their friend Leah. 
When his son, who was a medic, stopped to help someone, Fippin stayed with him and shielded a woman from a bullet, which ultimately led to his death. Their friend Leah called them heroes. Travis was wounded in the arm, and there was a GoFundMe page set up for Fippin's family and his six children. His wife had died three years before. So there are six kids without any parents because of a crazy person. Leah said, you can't ever say a bad thing about John. He was a man of integrity who always had your back. There was nothing he couldn't do for you or wouldn't do for you. You didn't even have to ask him. Rocio Rocha, 40 years old, from Anaheim, California, and her fiancé, Chris, were in in Las Vegas to celebrate a friend's birthday. The couple was at the concert when she was shot. She was taken to the hospital but didn't survive. She had four children. Marcus, 18, Christopher, 13, Sophia, 1, and a one-month-old, Austin. She once struggled through what she feared to be permanent dial- or paralysis, said her oldest son, Marcus. She was paralyzed having my brother years ago, he said. She had a blood clot in her spine, and the doctor said she would never walk again, but she proved everyone wrong. She was able to walk, and after that, she ran half marathons. Billy Wolf Jr., 42, from Shippenburg, Pennsylvania, was a youth wrestling coach. Carl Burt, who once employed Wolf as an engineer, described him as personable, fun, easy to work with, and a devoted Christian. You know, it's, it's estimated that there were at least 600 shots fired, at the very minimum, 600 shots. This man, who will remain unnamed in this church, was crazy. He was evil. What he did was unspeakable. And to me, I don't want to capitalize on tragedy, but it is a wake-up call. It is a wake-up call. Imagine you're at a Real soccer game. Or imagine you're up in Park City at a concert, an outdoor concert. Or imagine you're at a, a Fourth of July parade. Or what if you're at a Utes game? Suddenly, nothing is the same. Your life is forever changed. And I just want to say, you know, part of me, I'm positive and I like to have fun and everything, but the reality of it is there are so many that are broken right now, so many that are hurting, so many that are confused and lost and and anxious. And there is hope. There is a God of hope, and we're going to talk about that today. You know, we, uh, at The Adventure, we are part of a a larger organization called Foursquare. And we have a president. Um, I don't, if if I go crazy, I have someone that can come in and take care of that. So 
but we have a larger organization. We don't like to say it's a denomination because we're interdenominational. In other words, we don't believe that we have the corner on the market of all spirituality, and we like to work with others, and we believe in unity in the body of Christ, the actual body of Christ. And our president has asked that we pray as a church. He's asked all the churches in the Foursquare organization that we would all pray. So could we do that? Would you mind standing if, if you're physically able? If we could pray. Lord, we pray for Las Vegas and the communities of faith, for its shattered and broken families. Lord, we pray for those who are still recovering from their injuries and for those whom hope seems a distant option. We pray against the kingdom of darkness and for God's presence to be seen and felt. We pray against fear and hopelessness. We pray for life-giving conversations amid the tears. We pray for comfort and for peace. We pray for provisions of needs we aren't even aware of. We pray for children who have lost parents or siblings, for parents who lost children and for people who lost their friends. We pray for spouses who lost theirs, for a community that lost its confidence and peace. We pray for a deep cleansing of the souls of men and women that will turn them to the only one who can ultimately help them. As we pray for those who are dealing with such horror and loss, we pray for those who come alongside and help bear their burdens. The Foursquare disaster relief teams, the chaplains, the first responders, and the local churches. Lord, we lift up these requests, Lord, and and all the other things that only you know. But we ask for ourselves, Lord. Show us how to be responders, Lord. Show us how to act. Show us, teach us, Lord, how to do to others in the midst of their trauma and their tragedy. Teach us, Lord, by your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So before you sit down, can you hug somebody? I think some people might need a hug today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. So in the same way, you know the Bible says that, that sin starts in our thoughts, right? You have a thought, the seed is planted, and pretty soon, if you don't rip that thing out, it pretty soon, the Bible says that it gives birth to sin. In the same way, in our thoughts, good things can start through our thoughts. You can start to think good things. And, and my encouragement to you is to act on those good thoughts, And I don't mean like, you know, when people don't, they're not people of faith, and so they're like, oh, I'm sending good thoughts your way. It's like, okay. But praying for people is a different thing. But thinking something good about someone and then actually kind of stepping out 
and, and risking looking super awkward, but saying something to them. You know, I think, I think sometimes you, you think something nice about someone, but you, you think, oh, if I say it, they're just going to think I'm weird or whatever. Yeah, they might, but you could also change the entire course of their day. And so when you have a thought to say something nice, just, just go with that. Conversely, if you have a thought to say something mean, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> but I'm saying that our thoughts about other people should lead us, should compel us to doing unto them as God, as we want to have done unto us, and as God has done to us. It says in Philippians 2.3, this is super convicting, so just get ready. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than ourselves, than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. The whole Christian life is about relationship and it's about being other-centered. It's about being aware of what's going on in the lives of others. Our natural tendency is to be self-focused and to only think about ourselves, think about our own needs. But Jesus is calling us to lay down our lives for our friends and for our family and for people that need to know him. And so when you think about a good idea, we want to be judged by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions, right? It's like, oh, I had intended to buy you a birthday present. You're welcome. <laughs> right? But we, want to ju- we judge others by what they do. Instead of doing to others and extending that same grace, we, we think things, but we don't act on them. And I think Jesus is saying, that's where I want you to be proactive. That's where I want you to do to others. I want you to step out of your own world and your own thoughts and do to others as you would want someone to do to you, to, to, to get you a latte or whatever it is, you know, your DOC, to, to do something for you, which means drink of choice, by the way, <laughs> drink of choice. So, you know, we, we have a natural tendency to just be so in our own world and in our own brain that we don't look around us. We're not other centered. And the next passage I'm going to read, it's in almost all weddings, not, not necessarily just even Christian weddings, but Even though this is a really common passage, I want you to hear it as though you've never heard it before. This is a description in 1 Corinthians 13 of what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. The NIV says love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And that should be our mindset toward other people. We should always trust. We should always assume the best. 
We should always extend the same grace to other people that we want them to extend to us because a lot of times you don't know what someone's going through. They might be having a really, really hard time in their personal life. They might have just received a horrible diagnosis or they may have just been broken up um, from with their boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, they might be struggling and stressed out about finances or about their grades in school or something. But Jesus is saying do to others. And so we want to extend that same grace to people, even when our natural tendency is to go, you jerk, right? Isn't that our our typical natural tendency when someone, you know, cuts us off in line or on the road or whatever? We want to just assume they're just a jerk, right? Don't we? Is that just me? I'm the only sinner in this whole room. (laughs) So a friend of mine was telling me that they have a policy in their home to presume positive interactions or intentions. I'm sorry. That we should always expect the best. Presume, let's say it together. Presume positive intentions. Okay? Think about that the next time you want to go off on someone or you get annoyed with someone or you get ticked. Think, I'm going to expect the best. I'm going to, I'm going to presume that what they're doing is, is something that maybe I don't understand. Okay? Extending grace to people. And the thing, I felt like this was a revelation. The other, the other night I was thinking, the reason that it's so significant and so vital and so important for us to treat others with respect and to treat them with kindness and grace is not only just because, because we love them, but because the Lord does. Because the, whomever it is that you are dealing with, the Lord is crazy about that person no matter if you understand how or not. Because sometimes it's hard to go, God, I don't even know. You're, how could you even love them? You know, there are times where it just, you, it, it's perplexing to us. But there are times where it's perplexing to us how he could love us too. But the fact is we have to receive by faith. He loves us. He, as a matter of fact, loves people so much that he gave his only Son to die for us. That's how much he loves people. And it says in the word various times, several times it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that is why if we fear God, we respect God, and he is crazy about people, and loves them with an everlasting love, shouldn't we love them too? Imagine imagine if um, someone has a little dog, a puppy, a little puppy, and they are just crazy about that puppy, and they adore that puppy. And I don't mean to compare God's love to our love for a puppy, but... you know, sometimes it feels like that's like your heart wants to explode if you like dogs. But imagine that, that you have a little puppy. Let's say, let's say it's me. I have this puppy. And I'm just, I love my puppy so much. And someone comes up and kicks it. What? What would that do to me? What would that do to my heart? In the same way, when we mistreat the people that Jesus died for... 
It breaks the heart of God. It breaks God's heart. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the reason that we should deal with people in a, in a, in a godly and in a good way is because God is absolutely crazy about them. And we want to be wise. The Bible calls us to be wise in our dealings with others. I'm popping, I'm sorry. So, God has called us to love deeply from our hearts. And the reality of it is it is not possible to really love deeply in a profound way unless you've had your heart filled with his Holy Spirit. It says in Romans 5 that he fills us. It says he has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And I I want to give a little plug again for the Daniel Brown seminar. If you have ever questioned how God functions in the person of the Holy Spirit, or you've ever wondered about spiritual gifts, or you wonder if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, or if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, or if you speak in tongues or you don't speak in tongues, or you've ever given a word of prophecy or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or whatever, any of these things, I would like to ask that you come to this seminar. If you have any questions about the Holy Spirit, by the way, for the men, we didn't, we didn't want to do it the same weekend as man camp, but it was the only weekend Daniel could make it. And so for the men who are going to man camp, we are going to make available to you recordings so that you aren't going to miss out on this. But Daniel is my pastor and he has a, a, a gift. He can take the most profound, deep spiritual things and make them really easy to understand. Um, how many of you are fans of The Office? Okay, there's three or four of us. Um, so there's this, there's this one episode of The Office when Oscar, who's the financial manager, he's talking to Michael, who's not the brightest bulb in the tree, and, and, he, and Michael says, please explain finances to me. And so Oscar starts explaining it to him, and Michael goes, okay, can you explain this to me like I'm an eight-year-old? And so, so then, you know, Oscar dumbs it way down, and then he finishes, and then Michael goes okay, can you explain that to me like I'm a five-year-old? <laughs> that's, that's how I am sometimes with spiritual things. But Daniel will talk to you like you're a five-year-old, but you won't feel like you're a five-year-old. He's very respectful, but he, he just has a way, he has a gift of making spiritual things really easy to understand. So speaking of um, spiritual things that are hard to understand, when I talk about presuming positive intentions, it seems inconsistent with what just happened last Sunday night in Vegas with that murderer, right? You can't presume positive intentions for him. But the Bible talks in 2 Thessalonians, it talks about the mystery of iniquity. It talks about how, how we can't understand the depth of evil and the depth of wickedness. And I was so, I was really, I was really saddened on Monday morning when people started to capitalize on this whole thing and started turning it into this political debate and turned it into whatever their issues were. This does not have anything to do with a political bent or a religious bent or whatever. This has to do with a demonic inspiration that caused that guy to go off and give himself fully over to it. He gave himself fully over to wickedness, to evil. It was inspired by hell. 
this was, there was, there was not, there's not a reason, but the thing is, it is so important. What is the number one question that everybody's asking now? Why did he do this? What was his motive? We want to know, why did he do this? How could he do this? How could someone be so evil? How could someone be so evil that they would plot this and plan this for months, maybe even for years? How could someone be so wicked? And why do we want to know? Why do we want to understand this? Do you know why we do? Because we feel out of control. Because we want to have control. Because we think, well, if we can understand this, then we can prevent it in the future. Can we? Can we really? Can we really eradicate wickedness by just understanding it? No, this is a mystery of iniquity. This is a profound mystery that we cannot understand and not a good mystery. This is a horrendous thing that there is so much hatred and such a demonic inspiration that would cause this person to do something. But we want to know why because we want control. And that is why as we offer ourselves up, as we give ourselves over to the Lord, that is our only protection and our only safety. And you know, it goes beyond words. It really does. It goes beyond comprehension, and there are no words to describe what happened. You remember the story of Job? For those of you who don't know, Job was, God bless you, was the most righteous man. And in one single day, he lost literally everything. Ten children and all of his possessions. This is a righteous man, and that's how God treated him. Seems really unfair, doesn't it? And it was kind of like the same shock and tragedy as what happened for us from our vantage point in Vegas, or for the families in Vegas, or for the victims. And Job's friends came and hung out with him after that happened. For the longest time, it says that they just sat there with him for days. Just sat with him. They didn't say anything. They didn't talk. They just sat. And sometimes we just need to sit with people. We don't need to say anything. We don't need to try to fix it with our words or work out our own philosophy in front of them. Sometimes, just like in Romans 12, it says we need to weep with those who weep. We need to mourn with those who mourn. We also need to rejoice with those who rejoice. But in cases like this, we just, sometimes you just need to sit with people. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The word unwholesome means words that that bring breakage, not whole. They don't bring whole. So it says that we should only say things that that are going to benefit someone else based on what their needs are, not based on our need to communicate or our need to say something. I mean, sometimes I just think we just talk and talk and talk, and we don't need to. But that what we say to people should build them up according to their needs, so that it can benefit them. That is doing unto others, because that's how we want people to treat us, right? 
And the secret to really true and life-giving communication, the secret to effective communication is not so much what is spoken, but what is received, what is heard, what is understood. So our obligation as believers in doing unto others with our words is to speak it in a language that they can understand and to say it in such a way that they can comprehend it. Not just so we can get it off our chest and say, because sometimes when, if you have an issue with someone, instead of just going to that person, work through forgiveness first and then make sure that your motivation in going them is to build them up according to their needs. Because there may be times you do need to go to someone. Someone might be in sin or they might be doing something that's destructive or hurting them or hurting others. And sometimes as believers, Jesus says, if you see your brother in sin, go to him and show him his fault. But it has to be in order to build that person up according to their needs so that it can benefit them. It can't just be about me just giving them a piece of my mind. Trust me, you don't have enough to give away. So (laughs) I'm sorry. That's kind of rude. Some of you will get that on the way home. Um, We are, that wasn't very life-giving, was it? I'm sorry. I apologize. Please don't email me. Um, So, so in this, in this whole tragedy, there's the you know, the self-proclaimed prophets that have come out to judge and to say, oh, well, the reason God did that was because that's obviously the judgment of God in Sin City after all, right? Well, what about Houston? Houston's in the Bible Belt. Was God judging Houston? Was God judging Puerto Rico? Right? Was God judging Sandy Hook? or Columbine years ago? I mean, it, it breaks down. The logic does not follow. What about um, San Bernardino? You think God was just judging, picking out San Bernardino? Russell Moore, who is the pres- president of Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention said, Jesus told us specifically not to listen to these prophets. prophets. After his disciples asked whether a man's blindness was the result of his or his parents' sin. Remember that story in John chapter 9? They come up, they're like, oh, this little boy was born blind. Is it his fault or his parents? And Jesus is like, no. Right? We always want to blame someone. We want to place the blame on someone. But these self-appointed prophets, they blame the victims for what befalls them that are just that. They are self-appointed prophets. They are not speaking from God. We should listen to Jesus and his apostles, not to these prophets. The ones who were killed in the terror attack or in a tsunami or in any epidemic are not more sinful than the rest of all of us. So if you, if you hear someone who is claiming to be speaking for God, Go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Jesus says, no, this boy is born blind. But it, it's, it's so that God can somehow be glorified. Even when we don't understand it, God's promise to us as believers is that he is going to be glorified. 
And I know I say this all the time, but in Isaiah 55, it says, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his thoughts higher than our thoughts and his ways than our ways. It is unfathomable to us to see that tragedy on Sunday night and to imagine that God could be glorified in the midst of it, isn't it? But that's because we don't know everything. We don't know all of it, but he does. And he is good and he is faithful. And it says in Psalm 108, Oh, please help us against our enemies for all human help is useless. In our actions, as we pray and as we measure our words and move into action toward people, we need to understand a couple of things. The Bible says, in the NIV, it says, the help of of man is worthless. This version says, useless. And it says in Psalm 33, 22, let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Our hope cannot be in another person. You will never be fulfilled by another person. Do not put that pressure on another human being to fulfill you ever. That is unfair. Your spouse will never fulfill you. They will complete you and you will become one because that's what the Bible says, but they will not fulfill you. They will not complete you in that way. No friend can complete you. No friend, no family member, not your parents, not your children, not your grandparents, and not even your church. Do not look to the church to get your needs met. Can you even imagine Jesus walking around going, you know what, I'm ticked. Nobody is meeting my needs. What's wrong with these apostles? What's wrong with these disciples? I have needs. I have needs. Nobody cares about my needs just because I'm God. Right? Jesus was always looking for ways he could bless others. Remember, he would come to people, he'd meet them on the road, and he'd be like, what can I do for you? What do you need? And obviously, because he's God, he knows what they need already, but he wants them to identify it to him. And when we do one to others, sometimes we need to ask them Not just assume that we know what they need, but ask them, how can I help you? What do you need from me? You know, after Eric died, that was was like the most healing thing for me, was when people would say, is there anything you can think of that I could practically do for you? And a lot of times I wouldn't know anything because... We should ask people like Jesus did. Before we just assume we know what they need, sometimes it might be, you know, you know the different five love languages? Quality time, acts of service, gifts and cards, um, words of encouragement and physical touch. Know what the need is of the other person before you assume. They might just need a hug and you're buying them an expensive gift. 
save your money. Just give them a hug. They're cheaper. <laughs> you know, or you might be trying to hug them and they're like, I hate that. I want a personal space. You know, they want you to serve them. But it's so important for us before we just go ahead and act, find out. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Okay? Is that clear? Ephesians 4.31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Wow. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. (laughs) Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Romans 8 Again, this is another one of those passages. You've all heard it. You could all probably quote it. But that doesn't diminish the significance. It is still God's word. And this is talking in light of the God of hope, of God being a God of hope and a God who does not condemn. Who It says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But this is talking about the God of hope. And it says in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the knows what is the mind of the Spirit because get this. The Spirit intercedes for all the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that amazing? He is interceding for you right now. He's praying for you right now. He knows your needs even before you ask, and he is praying for you. Going on, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That word means synergeo, which means it's a synergy. That's where that word comes from, synergy. It works together. It, it forces it. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that causes everything to work together for good. And in a tragedy like this, we cannot understand how is God going to make this work together for good. But his promise is that he will. For those who love him, I'm sorry about that sound, you guys. For those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes. If you, if you name the name of Jesus, if you, if you have received the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offered for you on the cross, if you call yourself a Christian, all things will work synergistically. They will work together. There will be a synergy that will force them and cause all things to work together for good. Yes. Isn't that amazing? There is hope in God, even in the midst of our darkness. And we have that message of hope. And we need to do unto others and share with them when they are in the midst of their hopelessness, that we have a message of hope. There is a message that you can have hope even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your grief and your mourning and your sorrow. You can have hope. Because we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And we know 
Jesus is coming back soon. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. Would you want Jesus to come back today? Don't answer that. (laughs) Think about this. If he came back today, what condition would he find you in? Passionately doing his work, losing your life for other people, serving other people, focused on him, just like that word that Pete had, our primary love, our first love, our main focus, would he find you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or would you have a couple of things you'd need to go clean up first? Matthew 24, if you want to know about the end of the world, Jesus has given us this passage. It says, it says in Matthew 24, 12, it says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I want to endure to the end. Do you want to endure to the end? I want to be saved. Don't let your love grow cold because of this increase of wickedness. Don't let your love be diminished because you're confused and broken and and can't understand this. Force your way in to the presence of God. Do whatever it takes to be in his presence, to hear from him, to know his word. It says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We have a responsibility to bring the gospel to the, of the gospel of the kingdom to all nations. Did you know that in Utah right now, only 3% are evangelical Christians? Only 3% of the population of Utah Names the name of Jesus Christ, the not brother of Satan, the Jesus Christ, God Almighty. 3%. You know, in many areas, they see this as a mission field. So many people see this as a mission field. And we are just going about our lives. 97 of the hundred people that you pass on the freeway are right now, if Jesus came back today, would go to hell. 97. And you remember I said the other week, if you had the cure for cancer and your neighbor was diagnosed with terminal cancer, would you keep that message to yourself? Now I'm praying right now for a grace filter before I say this. I have a really hard time understanding how you can name the name of Jesus, have your sins forgiven, trust him, pray for his provision, and never share the good news with anyone ever. I don't understand. I really don't. Are you going to be rejected? Maybe. Are you going to look awkward? Maybe. But 97 of the people that you pass on the freeway are, if Jesus came back today, they would go to hell. And there is a real hell. One time, Eric and I counseled a young couple. She was not a believer. 
She was of a different faith. And when we, when we counseled them, she talked about committing suicide and leaving her three children and her husband because she believed this was as bad as it gets. She believed that right now this was as bad as it gets. And I said, oh no, there is a hell. And it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And down in verse 44, therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So how do we respond? How do we do to others? First of all, we should be diligent to pray. I call this the pass method. So it makes it easier to remember to pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for insight. Pray that God would show you how to love people, how to speak words of encouragement, how to think good thoughts about them. Then accept them. Even if you disagree with them politically, even if they have an alternate sexual preference, even if they aren't the same uh, race as you or the same economic status as you or whatever, accept them due to others the same way that you'd want them to do do unto you. You want people to accept you, accept others. Don't unfriend people just because they don't agree with you politically, okay? We need to truly love others even when it's challenging and difficult and messy and inconvenient, I heard a really sad statistic the other day. They said that even of women who go to church, 90-some percent of them won't even admit that they've had an abortion. And if we follow the God who is a God of love and grace and forgiveness and restoration, shouldn't we be a place that accepts people? if that is the unfortunate path that they've chosen, should we not embrace people in their brokenness and their hurt and their pain? And should we not tell them the message of hope that is found in the gospel of the kingdom? The third thing is, so it's pray, accept, and then stay. Persevere with people. I had one couple I prayed for for over 20 years, and I just thought they are never going to get saved. And guess what? They did. Persevere with people. Stay with them. Don't just bail if the first sign of rejection. The thing is, if you truly love people, you will tell them the truth. And no one can argue with your story, so share it. Share your story. Nobody can say that didn't happen to you, right? Nobody can say that. It did happen to you. If you go to court, if you're on the witness stand, you don't have to talk about the forensics or the crime scene or the murder weapon or anything. All you do is say, I just saw a guy running out of that building. The end. You tell your story. And, and I want to start a, a social media revolution, okay? Can we do this together? You know that the Bible says that the tongue has the power of life and death. The words that we speak have the power of life and death. Should I use a different one? Should I grab a different one? Okay. On social media, you have the power to persuade people. Not just with pictures of cute little kitties. 
Not that there's anything wrong with cute little kitties. But social media is, it's, it's right now so current and so crucial and so critical for us. Shouldn't we be using it for the kingdom of God? Shouldn't we be sharing our story? I want to challenge everybody here. I want to challenge you. Post something this week that glorifies God. And I'm not just talking about sharing some meme or something. Say something personal. Not that there's anything wrong, you know, with, I mean, I'm not, I'm not being legalistic here. You know, it's, it's fine if you want to post a picture of your tomato basil soup with a crostini. I mean, that's fine. That's great. Or you want to post a picture of your puppy. Do you understand we have the power to influence a generation? We have the power to influence and to inspire and to speak to people about the things of the Lord. So can I challenge you this week, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, use it for the glory of God. Use it for the glory of God. Somehow say something. Just mention something awesome that God did in your life. Just Mention one thing instead of complaining because it's snowing. That one annoys me so much because I love snow because I'm from Minnesota. You know, use social media to bring glory to God. Can we do this? We have the power. Tell your whole story. Share the story of how you came to Christ. Tell people. Say, I once was lost and now I am found. I was a wretch. And now look at how God has changed me. And it is all to his glory. Can we do this together? Can we do this together? Today we are going to take communion because Jesus told us to. And he said that we should do this to remember him, to remember the sacrifice that he gave on the cross. But I want to tell you people, he is coming back soon. We have got to be about his business. We have got to be about doing the things of the kingdom and the things of the Lord. There are so many people right now that have never heard the gospel of Jesus. The gospel that that you don't have to work your way to heaven. You don't have to try and strive and, and constantly be doing things for him. That you can accept his forgiveness. So... So, Lord, we, uh, is every, does everybody have the little wafers? Am I? Not yet. Okay. I won't pray then. <sighs> Lord, let them hurry up. Um, that, that's the problem, is that we are afraid that we're going to look bad, or we're going to look awkward, or we're going to say the wrong thing. Just share of the goodness of God dispel some of the lies, some of the myths that he's just this angry, judgmental, wrathful God. He is a God of love. He is a God of hope. He is all-powerful. He is the only one that can comfort. He is the only one that can heal. Thank you so much. And his body was broken on the cross. He was wounded. He was whipped. He was beaten severely, so much so that the Bible says you couldn't even recognize him. And he did this before we even admitted we were sinners. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. 
He did it first. He was proactive. He went to the cross for us. His body was broken. So in, in remembrance of that, can we take the wafer? And we thank you, Lord, for giving your body. In Jesus' name. And in the same way, on that night, Jesus took a cup. And he said, this is a new covenant. That his blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven. He was punished. He was wounded for our transgressions. He went to the cross for every sin you and I have ever ever committed, past, present, and future. And because of that, we want to remember the sacrifice that he gave. So can we take the cup together? So we want God to do something new in us, don't we? We want to start to do to others as we would have them do to us because we love God and because he loves them and he loves you so much. So we're going to hear a song now. Oh, you guys go ahead and set up.
project, sweetie. Amen. You want to stand, please? Sorry we ran over. Sorry for the uh, kid, kid venture teachers. Please apologize to the teacher so I don't have to. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, we, we know that you, God, we, we were formed from the dust and we're returning to the dust. But in the meantime, Lord, we want to do to people the way that, that we want them to do to us. Lord, we want to treat others the way that you want us to treat them. We want to glorify you. We want to honor you because you love people so much, Lord. Teach us how to do that this week. Make us new in, in the way that we think and the way that we at that we speak and the way that we act. Do something new in us, Lord. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. 